longer slaves to fear. We're no longer slaves to our sin. We are a child of God. Yeah, it's broke. (laughs) That'll work. (laughs) This morning, every song that we sang here this morning is leading up to what we're going to be talking about today. And and I didn't even notice it in, in... me and Chris didn't talk about the set list. He just sent me the set list. And, and every song had a part in there that talked about chains being broken, about us no longer being slaves. It talked about the, the blood of Christ covering us. It talks about just us being resurrected with God. And it, it, it's just cool and awesome how God works like that. And this morning, like I said, we're going to be talking about being changed and how we are changed by the blood of God. And we're changed not only by changing our outward appearance, but we're changed on the inside from when we truly accept the love and the, and the death on a cross that Christ has given us. This morning, we're going to be looking in 1 John 1, 5 to 10. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 and 10. 1 John 1, verses 5 and 10. It says, This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we just uh, come to you right now, Lord. We just thank you for this passage. I thank you for this, these words that you placed upon John's heart here in, in chapter 1, verses 5 to 10. And Lord, I pray this morning as, as we dig into these words, Lord, that they just jump out at us, Father. They jump out to us and they pierce our hearts. That, Lord, we leave here understanding what it means to be transformed, what it means to be changed, and what necessary actions it takes for us to be changed. Lord, I pray right now, Lord, that you empty me of myself and fill me with your Holy Spirit, Father God, to deliver the message not from me this morning, but from you, God. Lord, we thank you and we love you. In your heaven's name we pray. Amen. Like I said, this morning we're talking about repentance, and I wanted to kind of tell a story about a, about a, a young man. He, uh, he had a favorite pair of slacks, like khakis, that he always liked to wear. Um, you know, I, I don't have a favorite pair of khakis because 95% of the time I'm in gym shorts. All right, so they, I mean, this, I guess we could say these are my favorite pair because they're my only pair. Um, but I, I know that um, this man, he loved his khakis. He, when he went to work every day, he would put on his favorite pair of khakis and he'd dress up and he'd go to work and, and, and he would always just be really careful about stuff. And one day he was sitting in his, in his desk chair and he pushed his chair in and uh, all of a sudden, he felt kind of a, a, a pull on his, on his khaki pants, and he's thinking, what in the world? So he, he, as he pulls back from his chair, a big, long string of gum got stuck to his pants. Somebody had got the, that big, chewy, hubba-bubba bubble gum and chewed it up, and 
You know what some people do sometimes? They just take their gum out and stick it under stuff. Not a fan of those people. But he stuck it under there and he got it right on his pants. He's thinking, oh my word. So what he does is he, 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 he's so upset about his khakis being, being destroyed by this bubble gum. He, he, he leaves work. I mean, it's this serious. He leaves work. He goes home. He's, he's, he's on the internet. He's looking at all these different remedies of how do I get bubble gum off my pants. And he finds all these different tricks, you know, like all these, I don't know. There's, there's tricks to everything. I mean, it's, I've seen tricks as far as like putting ice cube on them. I've even seen like putting peanut butter on them, which makes no sense to me at all. It just makes them more dirty, but I've heard that works. And he does all this different stuff and puts them in the washer and they come out and the gum is gone. No longer does he have any gum on his pants anymore. And this guy's just, he's so ecstatic. He's just, he's so excited and he can't wait to put his khaki pants back on and go to work the next day. So he goes to work the next day and he's a little bit more cautious. As soon as he gets there, he checks under his desk to make sure there's no gum under there. He's watching his chair. He's making sure he doesn't touch his pants with his car door. You know how that happens sometimes. He's very cautious of his surroundings because he doesn't want to mess up his dirty or his clean pants. But all of us know that no matter how much attention you pay to your pants and how you don't want them to get dirty, they're always going to get dirty somehow. I mean, even just brushing up against this pulpit, they can get dirty. We live in a, just a, a dirt-filled society. But he doesn't want them to get as bad as what they did the last time he got bubblegum on them. And as he, as he thought about this and as he thought about how cautiously he looked at his pants and how cautiously he watched his pants, he understood that this pant lesson was from God, that God had given him this, this kind of analogy of how sin works. You know, one time we get caught up in this really, really bad sin and it gets really, really messy. And we think, oh my goodness, I, I, I have made a mess and we, and, we, and, we, and we freak out and we do whatever we can to try to get rid of that sin and try to cover it up. And we go to God and we say, God, we, I ask for forgiveness of this sin. And what does God do? He cleans it. He's the peanut butter that goes over top of the, bas- the gum or the ice that you put on the gum. He, he washes it clean and finally we, have, we are clean again. But what is the step that we need to take? You know, we understand that we're going to sin every single day. That there's just going to be dirt that's going to eventually end up on our clean selves. But it's us trying to be more cautious of our surroundings. It's us trying to avoid those, 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 that, that sin that's going to stick on us and stay with us. And that one sin that's just going to completely destroy us. We need to be aware of that. And this morning, as we look into repentance, it, 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 is, it is a part of the Christian world that I think we forget a lot about a, time, a lot of times. We think we go to God for forgiveness, and boom, we are forgiven, and then we can just go back and live life how we were living before. But I'm here to tell you right now that you cannot live the same life that you lived before you accepted Christ with Christ. If you are changed with Christ, you change yourself. And we're going to be looking at that this morning. I've got different, I've got different bullet points. We're going to talk about the reason for change, why we need change. We're going to take, talk about our change of mindset. We're going to talk about our change of action. And then ultimately, the final product of the changed person. So if you dig in here, we're going to look right here at verse 5, and he's going to be talking about, he says, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you. I love that John starts off with this because this, he's saying, heard from him and proclaim to you. So what is John automatically doing there when he says this? He's saying, listen, 
this is, message is not from me. This is from God. So basically what that does is this message that he's about to preach in these next uh, several verses, he's saying, this is not me telling you this stuff. This is God. So he puts more power upon this message than it would if he said it. He's saying this is from God. And we, we can go back and we can look at many different uh, scriptures where Christ is talking about this. John 1, verses 4 to 5 says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness does not overcome it. So he's talking about light there. This is Jesus talking. Again, in John 8, he says, Again, Jesus spoke to him, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but have light of life. So he's saying, this is what Jesus has said before. This is not me. This is not John. This is Christ. Now, we must figure out, it says later on there in verse, in verse, five, verse 5, it talks about what is this light? What is this light? Well, I have preached up here about what light is before, but I want to kind of do a review on what light symbolizes. And light symbolizes knowledge and purity. Knowledge and purity is what light symbolizes. And we have to understand that knowledge comes from the word and purity comes from God. So uh, to obtain knowledge and purity aside from God is impossible. So if we want to be walking in the light, then we must be part of God because unless we have God in our lives, we cannot obtain the knowledge needed and we cannot obtain the purity needed. To become that changed person. So he's saying, walk in the light. So walk in my knowledge. Walk in my purity. But then he also talks about darkness. He goes on to say, and if we walk in the darkness, so what is darkness? We've talked about the definition of darkness, and it's the absence of light. Darkness is the absence of light. So absence of knowledge and purity. Absence of knowledge and purity. This is talking about uh, the darkness would be a sinful lifestyle, a worldly lifestyle, an immoral or dirty lifestyle. And darkness was talked about by Christ as well. If you look in John 1, chapter 5, John 1, chapter 5, he says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Darkness cannot overcome light. Light beats dark every single time. If we have a dark room and we would turn the lights on, automatically it would be lit up. Because the darkness cannot overcome the light. John 11, verse 10, he says, But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. So he's referring to darkness again. And then later on in Acts, he says, to open their eyes so that they may turn from the darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and place among those who are sanctified in faith by me. So we have two different lifestyles here. We have a life living in the light and we have a life living in the darkness. And in Acts right there, it says the light in the life is God and the light in the life and the darkness is Satan. So we're serving one of two masters. As Kevin talked about last week, you are serving one of two masters in your lives, whether you know it or not. One of the two ways. But I want to talk about right now, let's, let's do an analogy of darkness. Let's talk about if you're walking in darkness, what does that look like? Well, in the darkness, there is no purpose. There is no purpose in life when you're walking in darkness. There is no direction and there is no hope. Imagine you driving down the road. And I don't want to raise a hands because I don't want to know who's done this before. But if you're ever driving down the road and you just automatically just 
shut your lights off for a little bit. Anybody ever done that in here? Yeah, I've done that before. Sorry. I just want to see actually how dark it really is if you don't have headlights. When you turn it off, I turn it off for about two seconds. It's the scariest two seconds of my life. I mean, you see nothing. You see absolutely nothing. So without my headlights, without my headlights, I have no direction of where I'm going. I have no purpose for why I'm driving on the road because I have no direction. And it ultimately leads me to destruction. If, I mean, if I would tell you to go out at midnight and drive from here to Viking Mart with no headlights, most likely we would have wrecks. We would have a wreck. It ultimately would lead us to destruction. When we are changed, it's like the lights are turned on for us and we see things much clearer in the direction we need to go. And when we start to live in the light, things are brought to our attention. We see obstacles that may come in the way. We see stuff in other people's lives. We see the direction in which God wants us to go. So light provides direction, knowledge, purity. Remember that. So then it goes on to say later on, it brings us to our change of mindset. Our change of mindset. It says, if we say we have fellowship with him. So I want to first just break down those first three words. If we say. If we say. We say a lot of things, don't we? We say a lot of things. I'll do this. I promise to do this. I am going to change this. We say a lot, but a lot of times when we say something, there is no action behind it. No action behind it. I promise that I will be there tomorrow, and we don't show up. There's no action behind our saying. So what is he saying here? He's saying, if we say we have fellowship with him, if we say, we can say we have fellowship with him all we want, but if we really don't have fellowship with God, us saying it really means absolutely nothing. We could say in here today that we are children of God, but if we don't believe it in our hearts and show the fruits of that, then are we truly children of God? Action behind words. I remember one time when I was over at VU, I went and played in the wreck over there at VU, in the gym, the gym they got over there. And I remember we were on a, I was playing on a team, and we were doing pretty well, and one of our guys had to leave, and there was another guy sitting on the, on the bleachers over there. So we asked him, we said, we said, he said, hey, hey, can I play? And I was like, oh, yeah, sure, you, you any good? I mean, that's obviously what you want. You don't want anybody on your team that's bad. So you ask him, he says, yeah, I'll, I'll play. And I was like, well, okay, you any good? He goes, yo, yeah, 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 yeah. I, I used to play in high school, and, you know, I was, I'm, I'm really good, and, you know, I, I know how to shoot and stuff. And I'm like, okay, well, yeah, sure, you, you can play. So he comes and plays on our team. I mean, I felt sorry for the kid. He didn't know anything about basketball. Didn't know a single thing. I mean, he, he thought you could walk with it. I mean, it was just bad. It was bad. But he wanted to play, so, you know, we let him play. But he said he could play. But his actions didn't back that up. All right? His actions did not back up what he was saying. And I think that's very important for us this morning as we look through that. And if you look in Matthew seven twenty two, I think this is a huge, huge part of 
uh, a big example of us saying things, but our actions not following it. It says, Matthew 7, 22, it says, On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? Did, I mean, they said that, and we say that we do these things, and we're saying that we're, we're, we're doing great things and, and everything, but what's the next, what's, what is, what is God's response to these people. Be gone from me. I never knew you. So we could say we're doing all these great things. We could say that we're living for God. And we could say that we are living our lives the way that we are supposed to be living them. But I don't want us to come to this day where we are facing God and we say... We say we prophesied in his name, and we say that we were casting out demons in his name, and we say that we did mighty works in his name, but we didn't. And he says, be gone from us. We never knew you. Then it says, if we, it says while we walk in the darkness, while we walk in the darkness. I want to bring up another point this morning that... If you are going to walk in the light, if you, have, if you truly have chosen this life of living with God and being a child of God, then you cannot have one foot in the darkness and one foot in the light. You can't have one foot in the world and one foot in heaven. You cannot do it. You cannot do it. Matthew 6 Matthew 6, 24. Matthew 6, 24. Let me pull it up here. Well, Matthew 6, 24. If you guys want to turn there, that would give me some time, I guess. Matthew 6, 24 says, No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Okay? We can take money out and put anything we want in there. We cannot serve God and the world. We cannot serve God and sports. We cannot serve God and our families. We cannot serve God and put whatever you want in there. If, you, if you're a big fan of David Platt, I, 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 obviously I am, but he, he's doing a, a mini-series right now called um, Sports and the Gospel. Sports and the Gospel. And um, I'll just tell you right now, I listened to it the other day. It's about an hour long. I listened to it in my office at school, after school. Yeah. And uh, as soon as I got done listening to it, I had to limp out of my office. You know, honestly, I, I, I have thought really hard about letting us listen to this particular sermon because I think it hits a lot of us. It hit me so hard, I literally felt like a truck hit me. I let our leadership team listen to a little bit of it in our uh, meeting Wednesday, but what, 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 what Platt's talking about is he uses sports as um, an idol. He talks about idolatry. And he talks about how in life a lot of times we take good things, good things, and we make them idols. 
We take good things and we make them idols. And what happens is we devote our time, we devote our effort, we devote our passion, everything we devote to this one particular thing. And in this sense, he was talking about sports, but he, was, he said it could be family, it could be um, our church. I mean, it could be a lot of good things that we devote everything to. And yet we forget to devote that to God. He talks about that the passion and the, and the, and the, and the excitement and the time and everything that we devote to sports is worthy of being devoted to God. And it's almost slapping God in the face when we devote our time, effort, money, passion, everything else to this thing than to God. We're serve, trying to serve two masters and we're totally the only person that's deserving the only thing in the entire world that is deserving of that much time effort passion whatever is God that's the only thing that we should be giving all of that stuff to now are we saying that we should just completely ignore sports ignore our families ignore other stuff like that no what he's saying is that those are products of God Those are products of God. God has blessed us with those things so that we can look to them and say, wow, look how much our God loves us that he would give us sports. Look how much God loves us that he would bless us with this family. Look how much God loves us that he would bless me with this amazing spouse. But we don't make our spouse or our families or whatever, we don't make them the Thing that just a byproduct is it, that God is the byproduct of them. That's not what we do. So we can't serve two masters. You can't serve the world and serve God. It doesn't work like that. It doesn't work. We must be mindful of our sinful ways and watch them closely. Just like the guy with the khaki pants, we have to walk around looking for those things that are going to trip us up. I told Melinda the other day that as soon as I got done listening to my sermon, that sermon by David Platt, I told her, and, and she did backflips because she was so excited, but I'm no longer playing fantasy sports. I devote so much time to my fantasy sports that it is crazy. I spend more time researching, checking scores, doing everything for fantasy sports than I do in my word, and that was convicting. I'm devoting time that I could be devoting to God to fantasy sports. It's a joke. It really is. So we cannot serve two masters. But then it goes on to say, we lie and do not practice truth. And then I asked myself, okay, if we lie, who are we lying to? Who are we lying to? Well, first off, we need to establish that we cannot lie to God. You cannot lie to God. If you're out here pretending to live a life that is not of God, but you're saying, but you're, you're trying to pretend in life that you are of God and you're not living that life, you could fake out a lot of us in here. You could fake out a lot of us in here. There's one guy you can't fake out, and that's God. He sees your heart. He sees your motives. He sees exactly why you do the things that you do. So when he's talking about we lie and do not practice the truth, We are lying to each and every person around us, but most importantly, we are lying to ourselves. If you go back to Matthew 7, 22, where it talks about those people that said, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons? 
They lied to themselves the entire time of their life. They lied and said, this is good enough. This is good enough to get into heaven. This is good enough to please God. This is exactly what I need to be doing. They lied to themselves, and because they lied to themselves, they are going to spend eternity in hell because they lied to themselves. We get into this mindset where we tell ourselves that we're doing good things, we tell ourselves that we're not as bad as this person over here, and then we, we, we think that that is what is worthy enough to get into heaven. And it's not. When you lie to yourselves about doing things that you think are good, or, or coming to church on Sunday, or being a part of a member of a church, if you make that the biggest thing of your life, you're lying to yourself. It's that time, that devotion, that love, that true heart change to God that you devote your whole life to him that is the reason why you get into heaven. But we lie and do not practice truth. So what is truth, Josh? Truth is that which is consistent with the mind, will, character, glory, and being of God. The will, mind, character, glory, and being of God. So everything that God says, thinks, does, puts in his word, that is what truth is. Truth is theological. It is a study of God. When we look at God and see what he really means. But truth is also ontological. Which means that this way, this is really confusing. Which means it is the way things really are. Everybody get that? Truth is ontological, which means it is the way things really are. So you could think that, you could think that truth is whatever we want to make it, but that's not, that's not how it is. Truth is the way things really are. You know, God is the way. God is the truth. God is the way things are. So when God designs stuff here on earth, that's the way they are. We can't change it. We can't manipulate it. We can't say, oh, well, this means this and this means, no, it is the truth. It's the way things are. It's the way things are. Reality is what it is because God declared it so and made it so, and it is so. God is the ruler, author, and final judge of what truth really is. So we can all sit here and try to come up with our own definition of what truth is, but, it's, but it, it ultimately doesn't matter because God is the ruler, author, and final judge of what real truth is. So if you read the scriptures, that is the truth. God has already determined what truth is. He has determined the way things already are. And there's no way we can change it. So that is changing our mindset. Changing our mindset. And when we change our mindset, that's when action happens. People always ask me, what do I do to get over this, you know, this sin that I'm constantly struggling with? What, how do I get over it? How do I get over it? Well, the first thing we automatically think of is our change of action. We think, well, okay, if I'm addicted to um, pornography, then I'm going to remove the computer from my, from, uh, from my house. Or if I'm addicted to alcohol, then I'm just going to stay away from bars and stay away from alcohol. Or if I'm addicted to anger, then I'm just not going to put myself in situations that cause me to be angry. And we think that that's the best way to handle it. But if anybody in here that has ever tried to conquer a sin that has been a problem in their lives and they've tried to change it by their outward appearance and their outward situations understand that yeah it may work for a couple days maybe a couple weeks maybe in a couple months but what ultimately happens is you fall right back into that same sin because you never changed your heart and you just try to change the outward appearance but if you really want to conquer sin and you really want to conquer things in your life and make sin less and less and less and less then you must have a changed 
heart, a change of action. It says walking in the light. This means we are to reflect God's perfection in the human world that includes correct doctrine and moral purity. So there it goes with the knowledge and the purity again, walking in the light. It means we are to reflect God's perfection in the human world. If we are going to change our actions, if we are going to change this world, I mean, I can guarantee if I did a poll right now of how many people are satisfied with where our world is today, I would not get very positive views. My personal opinion here in America, we are, we are at the worst that I've, I've seen since I've been alive. Division, hate, I mean, murders, it's terrible. It's terrible. But, you know, we sit here and think, well, how can we change it? Well, right here it tells us we are to reflect God's perfection. That's the only way. That's the only way. I, I, you know, I, I put on Facebook, but you, you, know, you, you hear all these interviews of guys that are kneeling during the national anthem and talking about this and that and how it's whites against blacks and, you know, it's hate versus love and all this different stuff. You see all that on ESPN and CNN and all that stuff, but what you don't see is the interviews that they don't want you to see. If you follow me on Facebook, I posted a, a video of Dabo Sweeney, the Clemson head coach, the other day. And Dabo Sweeney talked about that the reason why America is where we are today is because we forgot the two biggest commandments given to us in the Bible, and that's love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. And then you go, then a couple. Uh, a couple of days ago, Ray Lewis got on a, a pretty famous show, and Ray Lewis said that the, the reason why America is the way it is today is because we have taken control out of the hands of who needs to control us the most, and that's God. You don't see that stuff. So how in the world can we let people see that that is the reason, that is the way that we can fix our problems? By reflecting God's perfection. It says light brings attention to things in the, in the area. It says, so a life in the light will not contain hidden sins. It will not contain falsehood. It will not contain deception. So if we are going to be the light, we need to let the light shine through us and let people see, listen, we're not perfect. I have sin. I have falsehood. I have deception sometimes. I am not perfect. We need to confess our sins so that it is brought to the light so people can see us as being genuine. Genuine fellowship comes into play. I, I, every, every, every time we, come, we have greeting of friends, you know, we come up to them and say, hey, how are you doing today? Oh, I'm good. No, how are you really doing? I mean, that's what fellowship is, is it not? That's what membership's all about, keeping each other accountable. So if we see somebody come in here to our church and we ask them, how are you doing? They should be able to sit and tell us, you know what, I, I, I kind of struggled this week. kind of struggled this week. Okay, well, how can I help you? I'll be praying for you. True, genuine fellowship. We need to be real. We need to be genuine. But then it goes on to say in verse 10, it says, if we have not sinned, but first we must recognize that we have sinned in our lives and that we currently have sinned. In our lives. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The gospel message does not take root into people unless we recognize that we have sin in our lives. So you are hindering the process of the gospel if you cannot reveal to yourself that you have sin. If you can't accept the fact that you have sin and that you need a Savior, then what's the point of the gospel? What is the point of the gospel? If you go to somebody and say, listen to all this, listen to what we can do for your problems. I ain't go, I don't have any problems. Okay, then we don't really have any help for you. 
The gospel was made for people with problems, and guess who has problems? Every person sitting in here today. Every person sitting in here today has a sin that they're struggling with. And we have to admit that we have that sin. Admit it to ourselves, admit it to God, and admit it to people around us to keep us accountable. In order to be changed, we must become a new person in Christ, leaving the sin we have to him to take care of for us to help in the process of eliminating it in our lives. So if you want to get rid of sin in your life, give it to God. Give it to God. And when God takes it, he says, all right, this is what we're going to do. And he takes you and takes you along the same process. He takes you along and you work together. Change of action. And then ultimately we get to the changed person. The changed person. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And then you, far, then you go farther on in there. Or, and, it, and it talks about, uh, and farther in the Bible, it talks about in Romans 12 too, it says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, and what is good, and what is acceptable. So we are not supposed to be of the world. We're supposed to be different. So I have questions to you this morning. Are you changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ? Are you changed? Is there a different person sitting in this room that would have been sitting here pre-gospel? Do you look at your life and see differences in your life today that you were doing before you heard the gospel of Jesus Christ and accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Is there a difference? If there's not, I question you. You need to question yourself. You need to think, listen, man, if, if, if I am truly living to this gospel and truly letting God work on my heart and I'm still the same, there's a problem. One of the best quotes I've ever heard is, God meets us where we are, but he doesn't leave us where we are. He will meet you wherever you're at. You could be the most godly person in, the, in this room or you could be the biggest sinner here. God is going to meet you at that position and he's going to bring you forward. He's going to bring you forward, and he's going to make you into the person that he wants you to be. Are there fruits in your lives that set you apart from the world? In Romans 12, 2, it says that we are not supposed to conform to the world, but be different from the world. Are there fruits in your life that make you look different than the world? Or do people look at you as somebody that's just, just like me and you? You're just like us. Or do you look differently? Do your fruits show that? There are simple steps, simple steps laid out in verse 9 of how to become that changed person. It says, if we confess our sins, I'm going to do a little thing here. I hope you guys can see it. But sin is permanent on our lives, right? We are always going to be sinners, okay? Sharpie marker. That's a Sharpie, right? Sharpie marker, okay? It's permanent marker. This is a marker board. Nothing, nothing Knew about it, okay? Permanent marker on marker board. Now, if this doesn't work, I'm going to be in trouble. Because that ain't coming off. That's permanent marker. All right? Just like if sin is in our lives, it has permanently stained us. Permanently stained us. But what happens when we confess our sin? Okay, what happens if we confess our sin? Hey, guys, I'm really struggling with lust. I'm, I'm struggling with lust really, really bad. 
And we confess it. We get it out there. We confess it to God, and then we say, listen, God, I need forgiveness. I need forgiveness of this sin. I I recognize that I have sin in my life, and now I'm confessing it, and now I'm asking for forgiveness. So the blood of Christ takes over us. Okay? Red marker. All right? The blood of Christ starts taking over our sin. He covers us. He covers our sin. When God sees our sin anymore, what does he see? He sees the blood of Christ. God sees us just like he sees his son. And it's very important that we understand that this morning, that this sin is we are going to be permanently stained by sin for the rest of our lives, but we have to understand that once the blood covers us, there is no need There is no need for this sin to be who we are. If God doesn't see us as sinners, if God doesn't see us like that, then why do we need to look at ourselves like that? When he sees us like this, this is taking a lot longer than I thought. I wrote it too big. But when he sees us like this, and we are covered by the blood, we are covered by the blood, Our sin is wiped clean. All it takes is confessing your sins. He will forgive us our sins. And then he cleanses us from all unrighteousness. All unrighteousness is cleansed. So in closing, I want to give you three different scenarios of people that that are present here today. All three scenarios exist in this room today. Some of us are here today and we're not changed. We're not changed people. Some of us come in here today and, and, and we'll admit that. We'll say, you know what? I, I don't look any different than what I did before I accepted the gospel. I don't look any different than the world. I still do the same stuff that the world does and I'm living in it. I'm not changed. But then there's some of us in here today that think we are changed, but we're really not. We're the Matthew seven twenty two people, the ones that are lying to ourselves. We're saying, okay, you know what? I I say I'm changed. I'm here every Sunday. I'm doing all these godly works in front of people. And people may think that I'm saved, but God really knows my heart. And I know my heart. And I know that I'm not. And then we have some people in here today that are genuinely changed. That have accepted the gospel of Christ. And they have said, God, take take my life. And you take it. Whatever whatever you do with it. Whatever you want to do. But there's best part about all three scenarios, the best part about all three scenarios is is one thing, one thing. No matter where we're at, scenario one, two, or three, no matter where you're at, this is encouragement. We are always, 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 always one step away. One step away. That's it. What is repentance? Repentance is turning the other way. So if I'm walking this way, one step, and I'm back to where, I was, where God wants me to go. One step away. The song we're going to listen to right after this tells us we are one step away. It says you're one step away from surrender. One step away from coming home. One step away from arms wide open. You're not alone. You're one step away.
Let me pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we just come to you right now, Lord. Lord, we just thank you so much that, Lord, we have people in here today that aren't changed. Lord, I thank you for that because you have them here today to hear this message of being changed. Lord, I know we have people in here today that have lived their lives thinking that they're changed, but, Lord, maybe they're starting to question their motives. Maybe they're starting to question themselves and say, you know what, maybe I'm not. Maybe I'm not. Maybe I really need to take that next step. Maybe I need to make that next step of, of, of surrender, that next step of repentance, and I need to turn away, and I need to start walking towards God. Stop lying to myself. I, need, I, need to just, I just need to surrender, surrender. And Lord, there's people in here today, Lord, that have surrendered completely. Lord, we thank you for those people as well because those people have taken this gospel message that you have given us of your son dying on the cross and they have taken the sin and they have wiped it clean, Lord. And not that they're living sinless lives, Lord, but Lord, they're, they're, they're moving towards you every single day. They are genuinely changed and people see that change in them and they are affecting people and they're discipling people and they're doing the work for you here today. But Lord, like you said here in this song, Lord, that you say that no matter where we are, we're always one step away. And Lord, I pray right now that all of us in here, whether, in one of the, whether we're in either of the scenarios that I mentioned, Lord, I pray that right now, right now, I pray we take that step. Lord, we take that one step of change, that one step, that next step that you have for us. Lord, we are one step away from surrender, one step away from coming home, one step away from arms wide open. And Lord, let these people understand that they're not alone, but they're only one step away from you. Lord, we thank you and we love you. In your heavenly name we pray, amen.